Hey besties, welcome back to the Female Founder World Podcast. It's Jasmine. I'm the host of the show and the creator behind the entire Female Founder World universe. It's so good to chat to you again. Today I have one of the most financially successful founders that I've ever spoken to. Her name is Tara Bosch and she is the woman behind Smart Suites. Yes, that's Smart Suites. They had a $360 million exit four years into the business. Tara was 27 years old at the time and she has so much good advice around, yeah, the tactical stuff, which we get into about getting traction and how to navigate funding and all that stuff for the consumer brand builders out there, but also just some really inspiring stuff around just mindset and setting your vision and dreaming big and working backwards from the outcome that you want. And I just left this conversation wanting to like jump on Pinterest and start a vision board because she is so clear and she has been so clear from the beginning with where she wanted her business to go and really was able to get this success so quickly because she stayed true to that vision. Before we jump into the conversation, I want to let you know about a free workshop series that we have coming up that is starting tomorrow. So it's starting Tuesday, September 12th at 6 p.m. and it is running every Tuesday night for six weeks. This workshop series is called Launch Lab presented by TikTok and it is where we're going to be tapping the most impactful and inspiring and tactical operators who are driving real growth in consumer brands right now. So we all know that the D2C landscape has just changed so much. Things are very different now to what it was even two to three years ago. This is something that we talk about with people in the community over and over and over again. So, okay, if the D2C playbook that worked for like Glossier and Warby Parker isn't what's working now, what are brands doing to get traction and how can you copy and paste those blueprints? That is the thesis behind this workshop series. It is going to be short, sharp, tactical, and you're going to walk away with really incredible tactics to integrate into your business. This is a free workshop series. I am really excited and proud that we're able to make resources like this free. So please don't hold back, share it with your team, get your marketing team to join, get your other entrepreneurial girlies in the group chat, get them onto it too. I've popped a link in the show notes. We still have a few spots available and I really hope to see you there. It's going to be a lot of fun. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Tara, welcome to Female Founder World. It is so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Okay, for people who don't know Smart Suites, I can't imagine that there are many of them, but let's say there's someone, they've been living under a rock, they don't know about your business. What have you built? Give us, give us that elevator pitch that kind of got you so much traction and growth. Yeah, absolutely. So Smart Treats is on a mission to kick sugar and keep candy. And so really for us, the vision is if you can go to the candy aisle, think of your favorite candy and Smart Sweets be the brand delivering on a low sugar version of that, that you can feel really good about enjoying. Okay. I feel like also when you talk about that, it sounds very low key and like, oh, you just started this candy brand, but I was doing some Googling beforehand and you guys have hit some amazing milestones. I read on Entrepreneur that you exited, you had a $360 million exit this year. You were doing like more than 55 million in revenue, all of these crazy numbers. Talk me through some milestones in the business as you've been building it to help people kind of know like where you're at in the company right now. Yeah, for sure. So for me, I think from day one, I was like, okay, smart suites, 
can be the global leader in revolutionizing candy. And so I really um, worked kind of back from visualizing that and being like, okay, this exists 10 years in the future. Smart Sweets is the global leader and using the language in my brain as if it had already happened. And for me, that helped really cement the feeling of like it being real and doable. And so for me, and then I asked myself, the next question was, okay, like what time frame does that look like? So for me, I was like, okay, in the next three years, I want Smart Sweets to be the leader in low sugar candy across North America in order to get to that like 10 year global vision. And so we went from in a four year period, it was zero to 125 million in annual revenue in 150,000 stores across US and Canada. And we helped people kick over 3.6 billion grams of sugar, which is what I'm most proud of. And then Yeah, the majority partnership, which was a 360 million transaction, what was really cool about that was that I was able to do right by everyone who had dedicated their talent and time to bringing our mission to life. So every single employee had meaningful equity that they could go and buy their dream car or put a mortgage down on a house and do right by the people who said yes in the early days, whether it was our advisors that gave equity to or investors. So that was really, really meaningful. Amazing. I speak to a lot of founders and you're one of the few, I think, who kind of had this vision of uh, right when you started knowing how big you wanted to be and setting those really big goals for yourself. I think a lot of people kind of like start small so that they feel like, you know, they're not going to fail or it feels achievable. I want to know how you have the confidence to have that mindset. Like what background were you coming to this from? Was this just something you inherently had within yourself? Is it a big opportunity that you saw out in the market? Like where did this confidence come from right at the beginning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great, I mean, I definitely, it wasn't a confidence thing. Like, you know, growing up, I was like, would watch like Shark Tank and Dragon's Den religiously and would like write down ideas, but never had the confidence to actually think I was capable of acting on one. Um, And it wasn't really until university where I was not passionate about anything I was studying, was like almost failing out, acted on a different idea and that failed. Um, And it gave me kind of the, the nuggets of knowledge for when Smart Suite's idea came to actually believe that like, hey, I actually am capable of acting on an idea. For me, it was like every single day I was so ruthless about planting in my mind the about the vision. So talking about it as if it had already happened and then mm. injecting what I liked to call mind fuel. And it was really like injecting books, podcasts, a lot of cheesy quotes I would print out and put on my mirror and just filling that in my day-to-day life every single day because I didn't believe I was capable. I had to like convince myself every single day to continue walking into the fear and not get paralyzed by it. I am really interested in this idea of our like our content diet, what we're intaking from the content that we're consuming because we are all like swimming in this just never-ending sea of content and you can really like spiral down a certain algorithm and to think that it doesn't impact the way that you're going about your life is crazy. This stuff that we're consuming every day has a huge, huge impact. I want to know specifically like in the early days, what was your content diet? Like what were those podcasts? What were the books? What were you consuming? that was keeping you on that really incredible like mindset of yeah I can do this it's going to happen it's inevitable yeah 
it was it was a it was wasn't anything that was like ground breaking stuff. It was like I would watch like Oprah Super Soul Sundays on YouTube and I would just like have a stickies note open on my computer of like all of the the cheesy quotes about the like, you know, if you believe you can, then you can. Like just like the the like literally the cheesiest quotes were always the the truest. I would like watch I would literally just Google inspirational quotes and I would look on images on Google and and pull those and then keep them with me. And I would get the read rip pages out of certain books. There's one, I hate the title. It's such a cheesy title and doesn't do justice by the book, but it's called How to Get Rich by Felix Dennis. Mm-hmm. And he really Great kind book. of speaks to the fact and like the notion of that, like not many people are actually willing to put in the work and the grit and the sheer determination that's required to bring a vision to life. And so if you are, it's actually like probability wise, pretty high chances that it will happen if you have market fit for your idea. So that book was like, I like kept that like the Bible, I would like rip out pages and one quote specifically was kind of around the lines of like, stick with me, young brother, sister, for your suffering from nothing more than um, it was like under lack of experience. Um, and one other thing I can't remember, two conditions that will pass with time and whose passing can be expedited with fierce determination and application. Ooh. And so that booking really helped and reading that quote over and over and over every day helped me to believe like, oh, like, if I just like keep moving forward, and I'm like a freaking bull every single day, I this will happen. Like it, it will happen. Um, so that's a book I would highly, highly recommend. Okay, that's a great tip. And what does your content diet look like now? So you're on your you've already built the thing, you know, you've already achieved those things that you set out to do. What are you consuming now? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think now it's kind of in the, in the same way where it's like, I think in the beginning I was consuming content from, from people that I aspired to have a similar journey to what they had. So I was consuming content to understand how did they think, how did they learn, how did they view the world? And now it's really the same thing, um, but just a lot more impact related. And I'm like, okay, like the women in the world that are making really amazing impact, um, like how, like in not just in like building a business, but people like Jane Goodall. And, and, you know, I'm like, how did they think about the world? Like what, when they wake up every single morning keeps the fire in their belly. And, and so that's kind of the content now that I feel like I'm consuming. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the early days of Smart Suites and what it looks like. What does the first year of business look like setting up the foundation and getting the traction that you need to create something as big as what this business turned out to be. I think that there must be a lot of lessons that you have for folks who are in their first year now and who have that same aspiration and vision that you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think ha- having clarity from the get-go out on the vision, like I can't emphasize enough because I think mm. I like to call it like reverse execution because I think the vision informs the timeline. The timeline informs the intensity. The intensity informs like the breakdown of how fast do we have to achieve these milestones. That informs the more tangible things like we want to be in X retailer or Y retailer by Y and we want to have X product or Y product. And like it allows you to actually get like very, very specific. 
And that was a really helpful filter for me because I think when you're starting your business, it's so easy to get pulled in a million different directions, especially when like you start developing your product and you start talking to people who you admire and they're telling you, you have to do this or this or this. It's so easy to get caught up in the like, oh my God, this is so overwhelming. I don't know where to start. So I would always go back to like, no, okay, like what what is the vision and the steps down from that? So for me in my first year, for example, um, with the product, I launched the business with two SKUs, which uh, for me, going back down from the vision, I was like, okay, we want to be the brand that you can go to for any of your favorite candies. So we have to first execute on one really, really, really well. Mm -hmm. And what does really well look like? Well, it looks like nailing the product and it looks like nailing the distribution. And then it looks like creating the awareness that we exist in the world. So those were kind of also the three buckets that I figured on focus on was like product, getting really clear on that informed by the vision, brand awareness, getting really clear on that. And then also the distribution, how are you going to create accessibility to your product in the world? How were you funding your business at the beginning? I, so I did debt financing. So I had like a $7,000 Honda Fit hatchback as like my only asset in life and was like broke, you know, as so many of us are when we're starting our, our companies. And so for me, to launch the the business, what I did, and now it's really cool. I mean, that like platforms like you guys exist that creates awareness of different avenues and that in the debt financing world, there's so many initiatives specifically for women to create capital um, more easily accessible in that like awkward time frame where like you don't have traction yet to like take back or inventory and account receivables. So I leveraged a few different banks and programs and then pieced those together it totaled 105k debt financing and that got me to launch on store shelves incredible and who was your first retail partner and how did that come about like how did you sell this vision to them yeah so for me like my hypothesis was in like the food world specifically it was very much like build in your own backyard and expand but I was like no I mean with social media now it is actually easier to launch nationwide because it's more frustrating if you're on Instagram and you see a really cool brand and you're like, oh, well, crap, I can't buy it. So then you forget about it. It's out of mm -hmm. sight, out of mind. So my focus was getting a national partner who could help create the accessibility and that was like willing to lean in with us and, and that got the vision. So for me in the beginning, from day one, I wasn't able to... to get that national partner from day one. So I focused on um, getting the national partner in the background, but then in the forefront launched in a lot of um, different grocery stores in the West Coast in Canada. And that just looked like banging the down door down, like showing up in the store, talking to the manager, calling the head office. You know, um, when you find the buyer's name on LinkedIn is like, Becky Durham. And then you call the head office and you're just like, Hey, can you forward me to Becky, please? And you say that with confidence. So they assume, yep. you know, Becky and they'll put you through to her. Things like, things like also, that. No one calls anymore. So I feel like if you can even just totally. like get on the phone, you're like five steps ahead. 
Totally. Yeah. Pick up the phone. I mean, and try again on different days. Like there's different yeah. receptionists until they tell you to stop calling, call. And, and I like to always think that like, no one is ignoring you. It's not personal. You just have to cut through the noise. And when you make that mindset shift, it's a lot easier, I think, to be absolutely relentless. And I was in like emailing every single day, creeping their Instagram and seeing they like beer. So putting free beer in the email title, um, things like that until someone's saying, no, go away. Just assume that it's fine. I want to know how you were building the consumer business on the side as you were also building out these wholesale partnerships. Were you out there doing like brand building? Were you leaning into Instagram? This is back in 2016, I think, when you first Mm -hmm. got started. Like what was happening in terms of that more consumer marketing at the same time? Yeah, so... When I started Smart Suites, I was in an accelerator program surrounded by tech companies and like a few beauty companies. And it was really interesting seeing what was happening in the beauty space where these brands were like Glossier at the time were creating communities around products. No one was really doing that in food. And so for us, we I really focused on not marketing the product, but building a community around kicking sugar. And we really, really, really focused on Instagram. And that became like a massively valuable thing for us to leverage, to get into retailers, to grow our brand awareness with different niches, begin to feel like we were a big brand when we weren't at all. And we focused on e-com in like a very different way. So we focused on e-com as a opportunity to build brand loyalty and like a personal connection with the brand. So we would focus on things like stickers and cool swag and giveaways and like value ads. Wholesale was really how we focused on creating accessibility in people's everyday lives. I'd love to know what some of the really big wins were that you had along the way. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, a big win for us was when it was a seemingly random partner, Bed Bath Beyond Canada was the national partner that said, yes, we want to lean in with you. And when you first hear that, you're like, Bed Bath Beyond, like what? Um, But they were willing to A, give us accessibility in all of their stores and B, lean in. So from day one, we had like 12 foot displays at the cash register and they were wrapping their cash register poles with our like kick sugar keep candy smart sweet signs so that was a really big win because once you have one national retail partner if you execute well because the easy part is getting in the door the hard part is executing well once you're in then you have a great story you can take to other retailers and and they have proof that if they'll put you in their store you're actually going to execute and this is what it means for their category. How many years in were you that you landed at Bed Bath and Beyond? It was like 3 months after launch that we la- oh, wow. we launched nationally with them. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think it just comes down to like really again the vision. It's really infectious when like energy when you're so clear on your vision and the yeah. passion and you also focus on the what's in it for them. So I would really share the vision with them, but then I'd be like, "Hey, if you come on board with this now, like we're going to shout from the rooftops and we're that 
Smart Suites is available in Bed Bath Beyond. And every single ring through your cash register, you're making 40 more cents per bag than you are with any other food product in your store. So really focusing on like the what's in it for them was really powerful too. Okay, so we've talked about um, some big wins and how you made them happen. I'm also interested in things that have just like not panned out and maybe some big losses, some big mistakes that you made along the way and what that taught you that you think, okay, if I was starting this again, man, I would not, I would not make this mistake a second time. Yeah. I mean, startup life is just like firefighting 24 seven. So like so many different things. I mean, honestly, I think the biggest one that came to mind is, was, is really around people and building your team. And I think it can be really, really tempting when you're building your team and you meet someone who has like all resume wise, all of the most inspiring companies that have had these great outcomes, but then culturally something in your gut just feels like it just doesn't sit exactly right. Like they're a good human. They check all the boxes with their experience, but like something just doesn't feel like exactly right. Every single time I brought someone on board, regardless of that, it did not work out. And that creates like one bad apple spoils, spoils the lot. It, it creates so much of your emotional energy and just time to manage those situations. So Mm. that was the biggest for sure. I feel like hiring is one thing, but how do you learn how to fire and let someone go and that process? And what have you learned about that? Because I think that's something that people don't talk about a lot, but is actually like, Mm -hmm. you know, a necessary part of the job of being the boss. Totally. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, for, I think really like for me, I, I felt bad about firing for a long time, even when I knew it was the right thing to do. And so often I would like wait so much longer. And then that creates more collateral damage because the team or people that they're working with can see this person's not the right fit and they see that you're keeping them around. Um, So it, it creates more cultural unhappiness overall. But I think trust that going back to your gut, once you know just trust that you know, like kind of like that saying with like dating or relationships where it's like when someone shows you who they are, believe them, like have an initial conversation when something comes up, of course, to give someone that chance. But as soon as that's not followed through with, like have the confidence in yourself. And for me, what that looked like was like having a conversation with my mentor where I would literally write a script. So I think like the first person I fired, I think I, I, we didn't even do it in person because I was like too nervous. So I just like mm-hmm. read a script from my phone that my mentor helped me, <laughs> helped me write because I was like so chicken and nervous about it. And it is, and chances are it's also not working for the person on the other end of the stick. And so that helped me as we grew to really acknowledge. And then also as you grow and you have people on your team and their managers and that sort of thing, then they start doing a lot of the firing and stuff mm-hmm. as well. And so equipping them with the tools that you've learned. What's it look like to build out a team for um, this kind of business? Like what departments are you hiring for first? What level of seniority are you looking for executors or strategy at the beginning? And how does that kind of take shape over the lifetime of the business? 
Yeah, I think in the beginning, it's like, I think it revolves so much around who you are as a person, the founder, and having like a really big awareness about what your weaknesses and strengths are. Um, And then combined with that, not hiring for specific skill sets, but hiring people who have generalized skill sets, but have the ability to wear all the hats. So our first hires, I mean, up until we were like a team of five, everyone was kind of wearing all the hats. So yes, maybe we hired someone in sales, but they would be wearing all the hats in sales. Mm -hmm. It was completely generalized and having people who had that mindset of the scrappiness of startup life was was so important. Yeah, that's a really good piece of advice. Okay, so you started off, we're, we're a few years into the business now that I feel like we're, we're at and that we're talking about. And I know that you started off with the debt financing a little over 100K. How did you continue to scale the business? I mean, I think when it came to scaling the business, it really, again, I think filtered and it sounds so repetitive, but it's what I always went back down to, to like filtering off of like the vision and coming down from there Um, because that really helped us to inform like, okay, now we have this nationwide distribution in Canada. What does that look like in the US? Okay, now we have two SKUs on shelf. What are like the next two most nostalgic candies? So that really helped to inform us being really disciplined about saying no to more things than we were saying yes to. I think especially once you start scaling and you have traction and momentum and you have the PEs reaching out to you, you have these amazing people reaching out to you who you admire so much wanting to be involved. It can become like very hard to stay razor focused and kind of have your blinders up. And there's really, really something to keeping the business fundamentally simple that has such power in it. Because when you're a startup, you only have the ability to execute on like a very small thing, a number of things very well. So if you start taking on too much, then all of a sudden you just start losing sight of executing really well on the things like that matter. So an example of that was, you know, like we launched with a massive convenience chain and it was like a really exciting opportunity and it took like a whole lot of legwork, a new pack size and all of this stuff. And for us, we didn't yet have at that time amazing distribution in grocery where people are going every single day. And so it was a distraction from executing well in grocery where we're actually creating the most meaningful value for people in their lives. And so had I stuck to the filter of like the top down vision decision making, I would have been like, okay, this is exciting, but it's noise. Mm, interesting. You mentioned something there that I want to like double down on about nostalgia and how that informed your product development and what products you choose to create and do next. I think we're in this really interesting time at the moment, particularly for millennials, where there's this big like millennial childhood nostalgia moment happening Mm -hmm. with everything from like the Mattel movies that are coming out and um, product collaborations that we're seeing. Do you think that it is a strategy or an approach or a lens that still works in product development now? Like, is it something that the business is still leaning into? Yeah. I I mean, I think candy is so nostalgic, but I think Many things are like you said, and I think what it what's underneath the nostalgia is an emotional connection to a product or a brand based on an experience you had when you were a child. And mm. like the emotional connection runs so deep and it's so powerful. And I mean, we saw it with the Barbie movie and just like the emotional response that people had because they played with Barbies when they were growing yeah. up. And 
And it was that same emotional response with smart sweets that like people would send us messages about how they cried eating the gummy bears because when they were a teenager and going through body image and self-esteem issues and they stopped eating candy, they're they're now like able to like full circle, like ha- have like a, a moment where they're like, wow, I can eat this and mm. feel good about it. And like, and so having that emotional connection, it kind of comes back to like Simon Simonick's, you know, it's like not the what, it's the why. Coming back to the why of your product is so, so powerful. And that's the why behind our product was kicking sugar. And that's why we focused on building a community around that and the emotional connection. If you can really focus on that and identify what that is for your product or, or service, it, it's it's really, really ignites a deep connection to the brand and loyalty. I'm really enjoying hearing a lot about like your mindset as you've been building the business. I just feel like it's very, uh, it's very inspiring to hear somebody who's had such a clear vision from the beginning and then was able to like stay true to themselves and then execute on it as well. You mentioned the book, Start With Why. Is there anything else that's like informed that mindset that you think people should check out? You know, I think so much of like what informed the mindset, I think was just also just observing and just seeing like what wasn't working. I mean, like financing was a great example of that where um, Smart Suites, when we launched, it was in the era of these companies raising so much money and and it, like PR glorified it. It was like, wow, you raised $40 million. Um, and, and then you would see oftentimes these companies a year or two later have these like massive layoffs or these massive closures or and and so for me for example for funding that like really informed like isn't the goal to like keep as much equity as possible because you have like the majority of your company you have freedom to give equity to your team all of those things and so I think a lot of the kind of mindsets was also informed by what wasn't working seeing brands too that had like a ton of skews on shelf and just seeing how it was hard for them to like stay focused and manage that um, and grow distribution. And so a lot of it was just like observing, I think, and like kind of seeing it and like having the mindset of, you know, what's not working for others out there. Having just gone through a massive exit process, what advice do you have for people who are like, maybe that's two or three years down the track? Like what, what did you learn about it? What advice do you have for people who have that on their vision board? Yeah, I mean, I think just as important as the vision from day one is like being clear on like, what do you want out of this from day one too? And I think it's kind of taboo, especially for females. I felt guilty talking about any financial goals I had. Totally, Um, I did this a lot. Yeah, yeah, and I really didn't. But I think like I did to myself. And so to myself, I was like, okay, you know what? I want to have financial freedom for the rest of my life. And I want to be able to take care of my Oma. My Oma was a big, she was the reason I started the company and her journey and what she went through in World War II and all that, that she had to go through laid the steps for me to like be born in Canada and have the opportunities to act on an idea, which is like such a blessing and gift in itself to not have to be in survival mode and just be able to like, yeah, I can try this idea. Having crystal clear clarity on like, Mm -hmm. what is your goal out of this, like for yourself? And also 
for your team. What is your goal out of this? What does that look like too? Do you want to give them all equity? If you do, so many companies give equity and it means nothing. So Mm. from day one, how are you going to structure your cap table? How are you going to structure your shares? So um, for an example, with smart suites, I had only one class of shares, common shares, all the way through. Many, many people, um, when you take on an investment, you have preferred shares, um, which means those investors get their money back and sometimes a two or three times return back before anyone has common shares, which is what your employees would have. And so for me, I was like, well, no, they're the ones building the company. And so we're all going to win together. And so we're going to have common shares throughout. And I said no to anyone who wanted preferred shares when I was raising as a result of that. Mm. So being like very, very clear on like what it is that you want and that informs your cap table in the beginning, it forms also like, do you want an acquisition? Do you want to IPO? Do you want to run this company forever? And those inform different things. For me, I knew at some point I wanted to partner with a larger company who could help us really pour fuel on the fire, um, achieve the global vision in a quicker piece of time. And so EBITDA, our profitability was important from day one. We were profitable after like our first six months in business and had a focus on not just like being at the break even mark, but being at like 20% EBITDA. Um, And so that informed everything from product margins, product viability to what we were spending on marketing and our headcount, keeping that always super scrappy. and, And so- yeah, I would say just getting clear on what is it that you want and you're in the ideal stage if you can get clarity on that in the beginning to set up the foundations to support that happening. Okay, you make me want to go and like put together a vision board. I feel like everyone's going to be like on Pinterest <laughs> after this conversation. <laughs> um, okay, so now you're Pinterest. on the other side. You're kind of on the other side. You have, you know, hit these big goals, built this amazing business. You've had an exit. What does your life look like? What does it feel like? What are some of the things that you're focused on now? Yeah, I think for me now, so I I, I have a baby. I have an amazing two-year-old. She just turned two and she's like amazing. I think I feel like being a mom, like is a harder job than building a company any day of the week, but the most like rewarding, it's a different kind of baby, of course, but um, in kind of like creating in the world in that sort of lens, I'm now really passionate I think about supporting other women. Um, when I started Smart Suites, all the books I was reading, all the podcasts I was listening to, they were men. And so I didn't really have a woman who I identified with that I was like, wow, she did it. And so I can too. Yeah. I've always been like a little quirky, like a little awkward. And um, the women out there, like I just didn't identify with. I felt like they were almost too cool for me in a lot of ways. And I, I, I didn't see her in myself. But it was that really sparked my passion now to really empower other women to know that their ideas and what they can create is really limitless. And so I've created an initiative. It's a 25K grant initiative called Bold Beginnings. And every single year we will have a new cohort. Applications just closed for this year, but they're still open and rolling for next year. And so I'm really passionate about that. And then just really lifting women up in other ways through 
mentoring and investing and all those fun things. Amazing. And we're going to put a link in the show notes as well for the grant program. I know that we've included it in the newsletter. We've shouted out in the community on Geneva where our group chat is hosted. So yeah, definitely appreciate all of that work. And I know you've definitely got a few people in the community who have applied for the latest round as well. Um, So the last thing I ask everyone who comes on the show is for a final resource recommendation. You've given us some amazing books and things that have helped you as you've been up leveling in the business. What else have we missed? What other resources do you think folks should check out if they want to follow a similar trajectory as you? Yeah, well, yeah, huge thanks for helping to amplify on your guys' platform. A lot of applications came in from your your guys' okay. platform. So that was really exciting to see. So thank you. You know, for me, I think like the one most powerful thing I did every single day and you know startup life as everyone knows is so hard and it it like grinds you to your core sometimes it just feels like like you can't see the light at the at at the end of the tunnel so many days I would wake up and I'd be like oh my god the company is gonna go down and it's gonna go down hard and I'm gonna be having 10 million in personally liable debt tied to my you know like there's it's just hard and so what I did every night that grounded me and allowed me to wake up the next day and not be leading with fear and be leading with energy and purpose and passion for the vision was um, something really simple. I would just stare at the roof at night and I would just think about five things that I'm grateful for. Mm. And like, I would just like really like let it sit with me and like I could like feel throughout my body like just like the gratitude and it would just like I know like fear and gratitude cannot exist at the same time it's like impossible and so for me it would like flush out any fear I had it always bring me back to a place of gratitude of like wow how am I so lucky to have the opportunity to bring this idea to life and it really allowed me to maintain the belief that you know if something doesn't go as you thought it would it's just a redirection from the universe to how the path is meant to unfold and that gave me peace throughout the journey no matter how hard things got Okay, that is such a great piece of advice and also the perfect note to end this conversation Mm -hmm. on. Tara, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Quick shout out to all of our business Bestie subscribers. If you are loving this show and you are building a consumer, CPG or e-commerce business, or you're about to build one, this membership will give you access to the people, experiences and the tools that you really need to build your dream business. Head to femalefounderworld.com forward slash subscriber for more.